Well, good morning, Grace. How are we doing this morning? All right. My name is Mike Silman. I'm uh, the Care and Connections Pastor here at Grace, and um, I'm just excited to have the opportunity to share from God's Word uh, with you this morning. Uh, we're in this series called Time Hop, and uh, it comes from an app that uh, many of you have on your phones, the Time Hop app. And when you open the app, it, uh, it brings up old photos, old things that you've posted on social media over the last couple of years. And uh, and it brings back, hopefully, good memories uh, that, that you've posted um, years ago. And uh, I brought a couple with me uh, to show you th- uh, that, that came up on my time, time hop this past week. This was one that I, uh, that I uh, wrote on Facebook five years ago. And I said, I love Casey. She's my daughter. She's now 18 years old. So she was 12 when this happened. I love her sweet, generous spirit. She bought two candy bars in the checkout line. And she told the cashier to pick one for herself, only the lady didn't understand her and took both, okay? Uh, and um, my, my wife does this thing at grocery stores. She, she likes to buy two candy bars, and when she goes to the cashier, she, she, she just likes to say, hey, you, you pick one. One's for you. And, um, and now my daughter is just very clear on her instructions. I said one. I said one. Uh, the, next one, uh, the next one that I want to show you here, uh, this happened four years ago on Mother's Day. I uh, thought it would be great to take, uh, take my wife, my family on Mother's Day four years ago to a place called Longwood Gardens. It's just a beautiful garden in Pennsylvania. You can go and walk and, you know, smell the flowers and go for a swim if you want to. Uh, Caleb, uh, he is uh, going to be eight here in June, so he was almost four when this happened. He he decided to take a run in the, in the grass, only he mistook the green scum on the pond as grass. And uh, what he's saying right there in the picture is, but I didn't know it wasn't grass. And uh, Naomi, being the rock star mom that, that she is, she jumped in after Caleb while I got my phone out. I did what every good dad does. And uh, what was really, really funny is the pond was only about seven inches deep, and so all she really had to do was bend over and pick them up. But, uh, of course, I'm, I'm glad for this, and I'm glad for this picture. And what you don't see in the picture is about 150 uh, people watching all this take place on Mother's Day four years ago. Time hop. Well, uh, we're in this series, and we're going to look, we're going to hop back in time uh, to be reminded of truth, some truth that was given by the prophet Malachi um, in, in God's Word, the last book of the Old Testament. But, but as, you, uh, as you think about life, and um, you take taking a minute to, to think about uh, some of what is going on in the world right now. Think of uh, some of the tragedy we see. Think of some of the injustices that uh, you see, um, you know, on the, on the 24-hour news cycle. Think of uh, just the abuse that, uh, that, unfortunately, we see happening all around us. Um, it is really hard to take sometimes. And, and sometimes I wonder, do you find yourself asking the question, God, what in the world is up? Like, God, I know you're a good God, and I know, God, that you don't stand for injustice, but, but God, it, you're seemingly silent in all of this. It, it sometimes seems that way, doesn't it? That, that, that God could speak out. He could, you know, snap his fingers and take care uh, of the injustice that's, that's happening all around us, yet it seems like he's silent in all of this. Not to mention, you know, some of, um, some of the foundational principles that um, our country was founded upon seem to be eroding away, right? And some of the things that, uh, that we see happening now, if your grandparents, your great-grandparents, your great-great-grandparents saw uh, what was happening now, they would gasp, right? They would gasp if they saw that happening. Yet, things seem to happen now, and, and people don't even seem to bat an eye, at what's happening. And it all causes us to, to come up with all kinds of questions. God, where are you in all of this? And the good news is that in the middle of all these questions that we have, God speaks. 
God speaks. And this morning, he's going to speak to you and me right where we're at, um, just the same as he, he spoke to uh, the people um, in Malachi's time over 2,400 years ago. And uh, he's going to speak truth into the questions that you and I have even today. And here's what we're going to find out as we look into God's word today, that God's word is every bit as relevant today as it was when this was spoken 2,400 years ago. And so if you have your Bibles with you, uh, open it up to Malachi. It's the last book in the Old Testament. So if you get to Matthew, turn left, okay? Malachi. And um, if you need a Bible here this morning, raise your hand. We have some ushers that would, would love to put one in your hand this morning, Malachi chapter 2. We're going to actually look at the last verse in Malachi 2, and then we're going to look at the first six verses in Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 2, beginning at verse 17. And uh, if you find that, go ahead and stand to your feet. We're going to read from God's Word together. Malachi chapter 2, beginning at verse 17. Ready? Let's read. You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask, by saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them? Or, where is the God of justice? I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. So I will come to put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive the foreigners among you of justice, but do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Before you have a seat, let's just read that verse 6 together, that first part, that first sentence in verse 6. Let's, let's read that together. Ready? I, the Lord, do not change. You can have a seat. So Malachi, Malachi, he's the spokesperson for God, and he's speaking to the people, and he's saying, you have wearied the Lord with your words. Now imagine that for a minute. God, the God who never grows weary, never grows tired, is tired. He's wearied by their words. And they don't even understand what he's saying. They have to ask him, well, how have we wearied the, the, the Lord? Which in turn wearies the Lord even more that, 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 he has to, that they have to ask him how they're wearying him. And this word weary, uh, it's this, this Hebrew word yaga, and it literally means to gasp. In other words, these questions, these, these words that the people were, were saying caused God literally to gasp, for him to be weary, for him to be toiled and exhausted and tired. And, and so we have to ask the question, how in the world did they weary him? And what are the words that they said to weary God Almighty, the creator of the universe. Well, let's take a look. The first thing that they said, first thing that they, they said was this. They said, all who do evil are what? Are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. In other words, what they're saying is, or what God's saying is, we weary God, we weary him when we try to define what is right and wrong, even though God has already defined it. We, we weary God when we try to redefine what is right and wrong, even though God has already spoken about it, even though he has already defined it. See, verse 6, we, we read it together two times. It says, I, the Lord, do not change. And what God has spoken to be truth 
in his word does not change. And, and it doesn't matter that we don't like what God's word says. We, we, we don't have the right as the creation to, to change what the creator has said. And, and here's how we do that in our day and age. Maybe you have even done this, uh, but we say things like this, and we think this way. We say things like, well, you know, I know what God's word says there, but that was written back then. It was, it was written back in a time, in a culture, uh, when it would make sense to say these things. But, but now we've progressed beyond the people in this time, in this day and age. And so surely God is okay. I mean, it's okay in our culture now, so surely God must be okay with it. Surely he must be all right with it. And we've seen all around us where people literally are redefining what God says is is wrong, and they're trying to make it right. And God's word clearly tells us, man, you're wearying God. You're wearying God. You're, you're causing God to gasp when we try to redefine what he's already spoken about in his word to say, this is truth. This is truth. And the second thing that's going on here is they're asking the question, where is the God of justice? Now, I don't believe that this was a kind of sincere question, you know, that sometimes you and I ask before God, you know, maybe in our prayer time before the Lord, we're seeing things and we, we call out to God and we're, we're wondering, God, where's the God of justice? Where are you, God? Please reveal yourself. You know, I don't believe that this is a sincere question. It's literally an accusation that, that people are leveling against God. Where is the God of justice? In other words, they're saying, Malachi's saying, we weary God when we assume that his inaction means that he doesn't care. We, we weary God when we assume that his inaction in something or he seems to be silent in something when, when we assume that that means that, that God doesn't care. He's wearied by that accusation. It, it hurts him. It, it hurts his heart. He's grieved because it literally accuses God of being blind, uncaring, aloof, silent towards sin, not in control. It calls his, his character into question, and they're bold accusations to level against the Lord Almighty who is holy and who demands holiness. But the good news is God responds to these accusations. And while it may seem like God is silent and approving of what is going on in this day and age and, and even in our day and age, uh, we need to, to look at verse 1 here, and let's see what God's word says. Verse 1, Malachi chapter 3 says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. And I love that he starts out with those two words, I will. It's a promise, and, and God's promises can be taken to the bank. I will send a messenger who will prepare the way before me. Now, who is the messenger that Malachi is talking about in, in this verse? Well, we know because we have the New Testament. We're looking back through the rearview mirror, and we can kind of see that this prophecy has been fulfilled in the person of John the Baptist, or John the Baptizer, as some people called him. And John the Baptist, he was kind of like... Uh, Kind of like your crazy uncle that shows up to your wedding, okay? John the Baptist, he, Scripture tells us he shows up on the scene. He's wearing a camel hair, and he has a strange diet of locust and honey, and he's just a crazy guy. <laughs> Speaking of crazy uncles or crazy guys, um, I was at a wedding yesterday, and uh, this came to mind. I remembered this, and, and uh, uh, Naomi and I had a, just an awesome time reminiscing about, about this that took place at our wedding almost 24 years ago. Uh, Saturday morning, on my way to the church, uh, I passed a flower shop. And I thought, you know, it would be really cool, really sweet if I could manage, could manage somehow to get a dozen roses delivered to the reception. 
Isn't that, isn't that sweet? Say, everybody say, ah. That's so sweet. I know. And so I stopped at this flower shop. I'd never been in this flower shop before. And I go in, and there was a guy that he just looked a little disheveled behind the counter. He had kind of crazy hair. He just looked a little different, and he talked a little different. And, 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 he, and he said to me, he says, how can I help you today? And I said, well, I'm getting married today, and uh, I was wondering if, if you would be so kind, have your, your flower shop deliver a dozen red roses, and I gave him the time that I thought would be perfect, just that moment, you know. And, uh, and so he agreed. He said, yeah, I paid him the money, and I left. And uh, sure enough, we're, we're in the reception and the whole wedding party sitting at that table there that, you know, everybody sits at. And, and uh, I see the door open at just the right time that the guy was supposed to show up. And it uh, cracks open and in walks the guy, the same guy that I bought the flowers from. And his hair was still disheveled. He had a white tux on that, I'm not kidding, was about four sizes too small. And he... He made a handmade sign out of cardboard, and it was on the front and back, and he put it over top of him, and he took a big black magic marker, and he wrote the name of his flower shop, and he wrote the telephone number at the bottom, and hey, you know, I got to give it to the guy. He's opportunity, I'm going to take it, and he took it. And so this, this guy... This guy kind of manages to come in, and people are just looking at him. What in the world is going on here? And, and uh, he managed to come in, and Naomi didn't see him because she was talking to somebody that had come up to the table. So he came up behind the table, and he gets down behind Naomi, kind of eye level, and he taps her on the shoulder. And Naomi, beautiful bride, she turns around, and the minute she turned around, she was eyeball to eyeball, and he, he plants a kiss right on her lips, right on her lips, hands her the flowers, and begins to walk out, and he, everybody's watching this guy, and he's walking by the food table, and he grabs some rolls, put them in his pocket, and, and uh, it was my effort to be romantic, and, uh, but here, here's, here's where I'm going with that. I had to find a way to kind of get this in here. Okay, John the Baptist, okay, he was, he was kind of like the crazy guy that shows up at the wedding, and he has, but he doesn't have a cardboard sign, but, but everybody's kind of like, man, that guy's a little out there, but he's preaching this message, and the message that he's preaching is pretty simple. Here's his message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's what John, so John the Baptist came, and he came with this message of repentance, and, and people just came from all over the place to listen to this guy, and, and people were repenting. They were repenting of their sin, and they were being baptized by John, and um, even Jesus in Matthew uh, chapter 11, we know this, this passage in Malachi is talking about John the Baptist because Jesus actually quotes this in Matthew chapter 11, verses 10 and 11. Jesus says this. Jesus says, this is the one about whom it is written, and then he quotes Malachi, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. And Jesus says this, truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist, yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And so John is preaching this message of repentance, and this is what he tells the people in Matthew chapter 3, uh, verse 11 and 12. John, crowds of people that are coming to be baptized by John, repenting of their sin, and John speaks out to the crowd, and he says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me, after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And then he says this. He gives them a visual that would just burn in their eyes, and they wouldn't forget it. He says his winnowing fork, his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. 
John's saying, I want to give you a picture. This is really important. There's going to be a guy coming after me, and his message is much more powerful than my message, and he's much more important of a person than I am, and he's coming with him, and he's going to bring his winnowing fork, kind of like a pitchfork, and, and here's what it's going to be like. It's like a farmer that gathers a big pile of wheat, and he takes his pitchfork, and, he, and the farmer picks up a, a, a pitchfork full of wheat and he tosses it in the air and the, the air kind of blows away the chaff and it lands over here on this pile and then the wheat falls to the ground. And John says, the guy that's coming after me, he's going to keep this wheat. He's going to put that in the barn and this chaff, he's going to burn that. and He's going to throw it away and it's going to be burned in an unquenchable fire. So let's look at the second part then of verse 1 in Malachi chapter 3. It says, Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. And so Malachi is saying there's going to be a guy, a messenger coming. That's John the Baptist. And then there's going to be a messenger of the covenant whom you desire that's going to come. And he's going to answer the questions that you've been leveling against him. Now, who is this messenger of the covenant? It's Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ, the, the one that is fully God, fully man, that came to die for the sins of the world, providing salvation, providing new life in him through his shed blood on the cross, conquering death, defeating death through his resurrection, who is now ascended, he ascended to heaven, and he's sitting at the right hand of the Father, says he will come again. He will come again. Now, um, this is remarkable what we're reading here, and I don't want you to miss that because maybe you're here today and you're just a little bit skeptical of the validity of God's word, okay? Maybe you're here today and you're, and you're like, you know, God's word, you know, I think there's some good principles in it, but I wouldn't go as far as saying that it's literally the, the, the words of God. You know, I mean, there's some things in there that are a little far-fetched for me to believe. Maybe that's you, and maybe you came in here and you're a little bit skeptical, and I want you to hear me loud and clear here today. What, what we see here is a prediction, a prophecy in God's Word in the Old Testament 400 years before it was fulfilled in, in Jesus Christ. 400 years before John the Baptist and Jesus walked on this earth, a prophecy was made by Malachi saying that it would happen just like it happened. Now, combine this with over 300 other prophecies over a span going back a 1,000 years by all kinds of different people living in all kinds of different time and place in history that made prophecies about Jesus that all came true just as these prophecies predicted. Now, what's incredible about this is that these prophecies that were made about Jesus were like pinpoint kind of prophecies, like where the Messiah, Jesus, would be born, what city he would be born, how he would arrive into Jerusalem, um, you know, how he would eventually be betrayed, even with the amount of money that he would be, be betrayed with, uh, predictions made about how he would die. I mean, just fascinating stuff. It would be the equivalent of, of me telling you here today, uh, predicting the, the leader, the president of the United States 400 years from now, 500 years from now, kind of telling you where he's going to be born, what are some of the things that he's going to stand for, and, and even telling you, predicting his, his running mate, okay? Even telling you about his running mate, how he's going to die, and, and then nailing that, like nailing that. that that's that's what's, what's happening through Scripture, and that's why I place my complete 100% trust in the validity of God's word. Uh, there was a, a math professor at Westmont College, and, and he gathered over 600 students. And, uh, and they figured out um, the statistical mathematical odds that over 300 prophecies 
over a span of a thousand years, what, what the statistical odds would be that those could, could be fulfilled in one person. And do you know what the statistical odds of that happening were? It's one in 10 to the 17th power. That's one in 10 with 17 zeros following. That's the statistical odds that, that these 300 and some prophecies could be fulfilled in one person. But yet, it's happened just as it was predicted, just as it was prophesied. And here's, here's the incredible thing that I want you to get this morning. We, we stand at a time and a place in history where we, we have the, the ability to look back and clearly see prophecies, hundreds of prophecies that have been fulfilled, yet there's still some prophecies ahead of us that have not yet been fulfilled. Namely, that Jesus Christ, the one who came the first time, the one who came to shed his blood on the cross for you, for me, he is coming again. He is coming again. It will happen. Yet so often we live our lives as if Jesus isn't coming again. We're thankful for you know, him coming the first time, but we completely forget. We live our life as if he's not coming again, and Jesus is coming again. And you say, okay, well, what is he waiting for? What's he waiting for? Well, let's, let's turn in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. I want to read a couple of verses beginning at verse 8. 2 Peter chapter 3, uh, beginning at verse 8, it says this. It says, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like what? What is a day like? A thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day, okay? So right there, we know that God doesn't operate in our time frame. He doesn't operate in our calendar at all. Just throw that away because a thousand years like a day, a day is like a thousand years. Verse 9 says, the Lord is not slow, in keeping his promise, as, as maybe you and me understand slowness. Instead, he is what? He is patient with who? With you, with me. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come. There's the, there's the promise. It will come. How's it going to come? Like a thief. It's unexpected. Nobody knows when it's going to happen. But here's what's going to happen. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way. The logical question. What kind of people ought you and I to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by what? By fire, and the elements will melt in the heat, but in keeping with his what? His promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. See, here, here's what you need to understand this morning, this is very clear from, from God's word. Jesus came the first time in humility. And he's coming the second time in glory. He came the first time in humility, entering Jerusalem on a donkey, leaving the greatness and the glory of heaven, taking the place of the least of a servant. He did that because he is madly in love with you. And he, and he wanted desperately to provide a way to spend eternity with you along by his side forever. And he came that first time in humility, but he's coming the second time in, in glory. And he's going to come as the lion of the tribe of Judah, bringing his fierce judgment with him. Now, he, he doesn't want anyone to perish. And, and just think of that 
this morning. Like, there literally could be one person in here that's holding up the whole process of Jesus coming back. Would you just get saved already? Okay? Like, but, but, but seriously, seriously, if, if you're in here this morning, you came in here to check out grace, somebody invited you, somebody dragged you in here, you don't even know why you're here, but you're here this morning, and you're listening to this message, you need to know that the only reason Jesus did not come back yet is for you. It's for you. He loves you that much. Like, he's, he's being patient. He's holding back his judgment for your sake. That's how much he loves you. That's in, how, how incredible his, his grace is and his mercy is. See, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Let's look at our text. Matthew chapter 3, look at verse 2. So Malachi says, but who can endure the day of his coming? Who can endure it? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be, will be what? They will be acceptable to the Lord as in the days gone by, as in former years. And Malachi says, when, when the Lord comes back the second time, there, there's going to be two groups of people. Just like John the Baptist said. He said there's going to be the wheat and there's going to be the chaff. And, and Malachi says there are going to be two groups of people. And, and the first group of people, he uh, he, he, he describes it this way. He, he says that the first group of people, uh, they're going to be refined by fire and by launderer's soap. Now, two pictures that, um, that he gives us here. This launderer's soap is this, it's, it's this strong, caustic, lye soap that's, that's reserved uh, back in this day for the dirtiest of, of clothes. And uh, the launderer would soak the dirty clothes, the dirty garments in this chemical detergent and let it soak through the the, the fabric and the fibers. And then they would beat the the fabric on rocks to get it clean and rinse it out. And it's an intense process. And it's the kind of chemical detergent that you wouldn't want to get on your skin or or breathe it in, right? It's It's the picture of this refining process, this launderer soap process is this intense process that those who are in Christ are are going to go through. Malachi says those who who are in Christ, that, that, that Jesus is going to come and he's going to refine them. He's going to clean them with this launderer's soap. And then the second picture that Malachi gives us is that Jesus is like a refiner's fire. Now, a refiner takes impure metal and ore and places it in an intense heat to burn away the impurities. And what happens is, as, the, as the, the metal melts and the temperature rises, the dross or the impurities would rise to the surface, and then they would scoop that away, and this process would just keep happening and keep happening and keep happening until the metal was, was pure enough for, for the, the purifier to do something with. Now, how did you know that the metal was pure enough to, that the person working with the metal could, could actually use it? Check this out. This is so cool. He would look at the surface of the metal, and when he could see his reflection in it, that's how he knew that the metal was, was pure enough pure enough to be able to be used, pure enough to, that, that the, the person working with the metal could, could use it. And Scripture, Malachi is saying that that's a picture of, of God. That's a picture of Jesus. When he comes back the second time, he, he's going he's gonna to get to work purifying you, and he's going to burn the impurities completely. But here's the deal. That, that doesn't happen only when Christ comes back the second time. The purification process gets started right when you say yes 
to Jesus Christ. The moment that you say yes to Jesus Christ, the refining process begins in your life. And, and if you've been walking with Jesus for a while, you know this to be true. You've been, God's been refining you because you, you would say, man, I, I, if this would happen to me today, I would slap that person. But instead, I, I thank them. My attitude so much differently today. I handled this so much differently than I would have a year or two or three or four or five years ago. What's happening in me? Well, you know, because you know it's not you. You know that God is at work. The Holy Spirit is at work, and he's refining you. The impurities are kind of coming to the surface in your life, and, and, and the purifier, the Holy Spirit, is scooping off the dross in your life, scooping off the impurities in, in your life, and, and, and you're becoming more and more like Christ. That's the process. We, we have a big word we call that. It's called sanctification, right? And it's this process of purification. And, and that process will never fully happen until Jesus comes back the second time. But here's the cool thing. Here's the cool thing. When you say yes to Jesus, we bring a lot of impurities to the table, don't we? We bring a lot of impurities to the table. And maybe you're here today and you have a, a lot of messes in your life. Matter of fact, you'd say, well, I, I got to clean up these messes before I jump in the pot. And, and, but the cool thing about the gospel is the gospel says, no, no, no. You come to Jesus with all your messes. Like he, he wants you to bring all your messes in his grace, in his mercy. He accepts you as you are, but he will not leave you as you are. And you say yes to Jesus and in, in his goodness and in his grace and in his mercy, he declares you, check this out, he declares you pure and righteous as you will be when he comes back and he purifies you completely. He declares that over you already on the front end. Isn't that cool? But, 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 then, but practically, practically, we know that we're still, we still have some stuff in our life. We still have things that... We need to be purified of. And so the Christian life is this process of Jesus refining you. And you know what? It's, it's a process that hurts. It's a process that burns. Anybody here like to, you know, get, jump in the fire? No, nobody does. Matter of fact, we resist it. We, we fight it. It's painful at times. And, by the way, sometimes it doesn't make any sense at all to us. And when this refining process begins to happen in our lives, here's the deal. We, we begin to believe two lies, we begin to believe two lies. And here, here, here's lie number one that we are tempted to believe. We're tempted to believe that God is unfaithful and doesn't see and doesn't care about the pain we are in when we're going through this refining process. But here's the truth. Here's what you need to understand this morning. Here's the good news. Refinement is the sure sign of God's presence and love in your life. When you're going through a difficult time and, 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 and you know that it's God's refinement, you need to know in that moment, even though it hurts, even though it's painful, even though you don't like it, even though you're trying to resist it, that that's the sure sign of God's presence and love in your life. And the second lie that we're tempted to believe in this refinement process is that God's love is shown to me by giving me whatever I want, whenever I want it. That's the lie that um, oftentimes we hear. You come to Christ, Jesus will give you whatever you want, whenever you want it, and that's, what we, that's why sometimes people come to Christ, because well, it sounds like a good deal. But the truth of the matter is, this is the truth. God's love removes things that your sinful heart desires for your benefit. God's love removes things that your sinful heart desires for your benefit. See, if it was up to my kids, they would eat Twinkies all day long, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and they would, they would do nothing but play electronics eight hours a day. In their world and in your kids' worlds, that's the ideal, right? And as a loving dad, I remove those things from their lives, 
Why? For their benefit. It's not good for them. It's not good for them. And, and they fight it. They try to accuse me of not being a good dad. I'm not fair, right? Same things that we level to God. It's just a different, it's just a different picture. And but see, God's, God will, will not love you and be satisfied with leaving you with impurities in your life. He's just not going to leave you with impurities in your life. That, that sin that you're, you're fighting against and you continually go back to time and time again, God is not satisfied with leaving you going back to that repetitive sin, habitual sin in your life. He's just not going to allow you to go back to that. And so he's going to refine you. You're going to fight him. He's going to refine you. You're going to fight him. He's going to refine you. That's what God does. And he does it because he loves you. And he does it because he wants you to look like him. And Philippians 1.6, it says this, that he who began a good work in you will what? He will be faithful to complete it. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7 through 11. I want to, I want to read a couple of, of verses to encourage us here this morning with this. It says in Hebrews 12, verse 7, it says, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his what? As his children, okay? So he's, he's, he's giving you a picture. You, you think of how you are with your kids here while we read this, okay? God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not what? You're not legitimate. You're not true sons. You're not daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and, and we respected them for it. Might have taken 20 years, might have taken 30 years, but we've respected them for it. How much more, how much more should we submit, that's a hard word, to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may what? Share in what? His holiness. See, God's at work making you and making me holy. Verse 11, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. How are you being disciplined by your loving father right now? Think about your life. Think about what's happening in your life. Maybe it's in the form of him not giving you something that you want, and he's not giving you something that you want because it's for your benefit. And he's the perfect, lovingly, loving father, and he knows what's, what's good for you. Maybe it's in the form of delaying a job opportunity that you so desperately want. Like you just want this job so, so, so bad. And you're, you're praying and you're getting everybody to pray for you uh, about this job and, and it's just not coming to fruition. There's a delay in the process. Maybe the discipline is coming in the form of a financial setback that God is allowing you to go through for your good. Maybe it's in the form of an application that you filled out for something that you so desperately want. It's not coming. It's not happening. And, and I want you to know this this morning. Our delays and disappointments are often God's refinement. Our delays and disappointments are often God's refinement. So there's a, a second group of people that, that Malachi talks about. Those who knew, know Jesus Christ, those who are in the process of being refined because they've said yes to Jesus, and they've said, I'm going to submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ in my life. But there's a second group of people that Malachi talks about. See, listen, you will either face the fire of God's refinement or you will face the fire of God's judgment. But you're going to face fire. 
You're going to face fire one way or the other. It's either going to be the fire of God's refinement in your life or it's going to be the fire of God's judgment. I gladly take the fire of God's refinement any day of the week. Look at Malachi chapter 3, verse, verse 5. It says, so I will come to put you on trial. This is what God says. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless and deprive the foreigners among you of justice, but do not fear me, says the Lord all." Mighty. See, God is looking at his people that he loves, and, and they're breaking his heart. They're, they're wearying him by their words and their lives and their actions, and they're doing the very thing that God opposes. They're doing the very things that God stands against, and, and he gives us, Malachi gives us a list of things that mark the lives of unbelievers. These li- this list of things marks the lives of unbelievers. And Paul mentions this list in Galatians. He says that those who believe these things will not inherit, those that that do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He calls uh, Christians to rid ourselves of these things, to get far away from these things as as possible. And these things are sorcerers. Um, It's not, you know, a word we use a lot, but basically it's, it's bypassing God's wisdom to seek answers outside of God's wisdom. And sometimes that can be, in, in their day and age, from, from the dead, calling on the dead, uh, calling on fortune tellers, calling on mediums. And, and these, these are, are things that mark the lives of unbelievers. Sorcerers, adulterers, those who are sexually impure, being unfaithful to the covenant of, of marriage, perjurers or liars, those who, who defraud workers of their wages. In other words, withholding wages or earnings from, from someone who has earned that. That's a, that's a dangerous place to be, not following through on something that you promised an employee or something that works for you. Those who oppress the, the widows and, and the fatherless, taking advantage of those who are, are easily taking advantage, taken advantage of, depriving the foreigners among you of justice not allowing or withholding from a foreigner the same rights and privileges that that you enjoy. See, God is a a defender of the weak. He's a defender of the powerless. And when we do these things, we're opposing God when we take advantage of, of people and are defenseless. So Malachi says, you're wearying God with your words. You're wearying him. Jesus says, out of the overflow of our heart, the mouth speaks. What's deep within their heart is causing Father God just so much grief. It's hurting him. And he's calling them to repentance. He's calling them to evaluate their lives. He's calling them to a place where where they say, look, you need to repent You need to turn in the other direction. You need to follow me because I'm coming again. I'm coming again. And he he tells us today, just just as I came the first time, I'm coming again and I'm going to make everything right. And when he comes the second time, will, will he find you faithful? Will he find you faithful? Let's just bow our head and close in, in a word of prayer. A message like this, a message like this should, should cause us to really evaluate our lives. And in light of what we just heard, in light of what God spoke to us this morning, I just want to ask you some, some questions. Maybe you're, you're here this morning and you would fall into the, the first group of people. In other words, you've, you've said yes to Jesus Christ. There was a place and time you remember very vividly where you surrendered your life to, to Jesus Christ. But maybe, maybe you haven't submitted to the refining process that God wants to be doing in your life. You're fighting him. And today, God is saying, submit to the rule and reign, my rule and reign in your life. Submit to the purification process in your life. Allow me to purify you. 
maybe today uh, you've realized that there was a delay in your life and, and the delay is really God and his discipline, his perfect discipline. And today you need to say to God, okay, God, I surrender. I surrender to and I submit to this process in my life, Lord. I'm going to wait on you. I'm not going to try to get ahead of you, whatever that may be. Maybe you're selling a house. Maybe it's you're looking for a new job. Maybe it's you're trying to have a, a child. Maybe you're looking for a mate, and, and it's just this delay, 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 delay. And God wants you to wait, 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 wait on him. So maybe that's where you find yourself, or maybe you find yourself in the second group of people. The group of people that God is waiting on to return the second time. He could be waiting on you. You could be in here and, you, and you've not submitted to the rule and reign of Jesus in your life. You've not bowed your knee to God the Father. You've not said, Jesus, I accept your free gift of salvation in my life. And today could be the very day that you move from the fire of God's judgment over to the refiner's fire. God will begin working in your life like you could never imagine, purifying your life, making you like him. So maybe today's your day that you would say in your heart, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. With your, your eyes closed, your head bowed, maybe you're here today and you'd say, man, I'm, that's me. I want to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. If that's you, so I could pray for you, could you slip your hand up? you slip your hand up and say, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ? Thank you. Thank you. If you raised your hand this morning, just, there's no magical prayer. Just, just cry out to God in your heart and just tell him, God, I'm a sinful person in need of your saving grace today. I believe that your death on the cross was enough to pay for my punishment and Lord, I gladly accept your free gift of salvation today. Use me today. Begin the refining process in my life. And he will do that. Lord, thank you for who you are. Lord, thank you that you're patient. You're not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. Lord, thank you for your patience in our lives, Lord. Thank you for loving us enough to discipline us. Thank you for loving us enough to refine us. Even though it's hard, even though we fight it, even though we don't like it, Lord, we know it's best for us because you're calling us and you're bringing us to a place, Lord, of holiness, that we can be holy like you are holy. We become people that bear your image. Lord, help us. Make us more and more like you each and every day. We pray this in the strong and mighty and matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen.